0: Welcome back to the Buddy Ruski Show. This is episode 12, the first episode of 2020, and wow, what a 2020 it has been, Jeez, Like some of you, I have a lot more free time on my hands than I expected to have two months ago, but I am grateful to be home safe and mostly sane during quarantine, and I hope you are too. So much has already been said about the impact of COVID-19 on our society, so I won't spend too much time talking about it here because I will undoubtedly be writing about it more than once in the near future on my website, but I think what we need most in this moment are ways to connect to each other and not let the threads of our community unravel. My goal with this show, as it has always been, is to create connections and tell stories. With that in mind, let me know who you want to hear from during this time. My email is justin at buddyruski.com, or you can find me on social media at buddyruski. My guest today is David Delaney Mayer, David is a longtime friend from my days in the legendary Watts Hillendale neighborhood here in Durham. He comes from an accomplished family of basketball players including both his parents, his twin brother, Michael, and his older brother, Paul. After graduating from Duke University, David now works as a documentary filmmaker. We chat about life in Durham, hoops culture, and what people are missing when it comes to documentaries. As always, thanks to Jeremy Rist, AKA Funkleberry, for bringing us in and taking us out each show. Special music provided by DRS. Check out their new release on Roundhouse. Shout out to Roundhouse. This episode also marks the first show recorded over Zoom. You may notice a couple minor glitches, but overall I'm really happy with how the show turned out, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Without further delay, let's tip off with David. Today, my guest on the Buddy Ruski show is David Mayer, longtime friend of mine, uh, athlete, filmmaker, writer. He's got a book coming out that we'll talk about later, maybe. How have you been?
1: Good, man. I've been good. Uh, I guess like everybody, I've been navigating this strange time in the world. I've been holed up on the eastern shore of Maryland with family. So uh, enjoying rural life.
0: Able to social distance pretty easily out in the boonies.
1: Definitely, definitely.
0: Well, David and I grew up in Durham together. David is a Durham native. Uh, we went to high school Riverside together, played a little ball here and there. David is probably still the best basketball player that I've ever had the pleasure of playing with and against. What was, uh, what was growing up in Durham like for you? We were both in the Watts Hillendale neighborhood in Durham. Uh, which i always talk very fondly about as very informative years for me met a lot of my really good friends in that neighborhood and just felt very protected and you know insulated in the world in a way that was very comforting especially coming from the neighborhood that i came from before that but what was that experience like for you growing up in durham and and specifically in watts hillendale
1: yeah it's a hard question to answer one of the things that I think is the, the older I get, the more I go out into the world and experience other people and other like places, the more I realize how many uh, different communities that I was a part of growing up in Durham. Like, you know, my elementary school was Burton Geo World, which is, you know, adjacent to McDougal Terrace. And then I went to Immaculata for middle school, Immaculata Catholic school, where my mom was principal. Um, and then went to Riverside High School, which is like the greatest, greatest school on the planet, um, public school which is worth pointing out in Durham Public School. Um, and so I, I just always felt like I had a, like a foot in all these different communities, which and Durham itself is a very interesting place because it's, like, it's, it's diverse in kind of many different ways. I mean, um, both racially, but also like, you know, you have like the South and you have a, a highly academic um, culture as well. Not that the South is not highly academic, but what you think about when you say the South, um and so I don't know. I it, I feel like I got a lot of different experiences from Durham itself that um inform a lot of what I do now. But then specifically about Watts Hospital, Dale, yeah, it was a pretty amazing time. I, I also think our age group was was like we just sort of got lucky in that there were tons of people our age who mostly boys. Mostly boys. I'm sure there were girls, but we didn't hang out with them. No. Um and uh yeah and we all just kind of had each other and and we didn't have to leave to find a kind of pretty incredible group of people so um yeah it it definitely a very interesting place
0: i mean to that point you know there were you know older brothers you know you had an older brother a lot of folks had older brothers that were three four years above us and then you know i was a 08 graduate at riverside and then there was the sort of like group that between you and Joey Page and Zach Goldberg and yeah. Matt Rondoli and Seth Rose um, that were like the sort of other end of yeah. that group and then there were all these people in between yep. and so yeah,
1: we, we called ourselves the little brothers club because we 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 were always like the young the young uh, side of the of the crowd you know right so.
0: and, and you know that had a lot of benefits to your point about you know, we never had to go anywhere for basketball. It's like we always had numbers for basketball. Yep. We always had numbers for video games, you know, playing Halo. We could play eight on eight Halo with with the system link and never had to bring anybody else outside of the group. And And then as we got older, it also informed our ability to, you know, every everybody's personality while we had these very common characteristics also you know started to branch out and evolve and became our own individuals and that helped all of us learn different ways of like maneuvering through life you know we had people exploring music and and rapping and we had athletes that were that had ambitions of you know going to to college and and playing sports and we had academics who were working their tail off to become valedictorians of of their class and everything in between and so it was yeah just really interesting to your point like it, it, all the generations are kind of crammed into this one era that to my knowledge hasn't been replicated in that neighborhood yeah. really anywhere in Durham um, so it's, it's a pretty special special time and I, I feel very grateful to have been a part of it and I'm sure you do too
1: yeah definitely and, and to your point I think it, it's just so cool to be in a community that just kind of was figuring stuff out Like it was a big, it was a lot of people (laughs) who were a part of that. And so to your point, like there were just tons of different things that people were doing that they were trying that, that they were coming up with. Um, And so, yeah, to your point, like there was just a lot of exposure kind of in a safe, in a safe space where we're not going to get into too much trouble. Um, But there was a lot of exposure to um, just different ways of doing things. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to like, get some, you know, like 17 year old. Like talk to like seventeen year olds in that neighborhood now, like I wonder like what they're doing, you know, but they're definitely not as as sweet as we were
0: and to not have any major i mean we definitely got into some shenanigans for sure, but to not have any major incidents with that many young men and one in you know in the same proximity, I think was pretty remarkable and had a lot to do with the parenting you know all the parents taking on not just their own kids, but really taking on the neighborhood. And at any given moment, you know, the Hoovers would have, you know, their family's big enough as it is with all the kids that they've adopted over the years. And they still would have four or five extra kids at their house at any given time. And I'm sure your house was similar with, you know, two siblings and all your other friends and having a basketball hoop, which was like a huge, uh magnet for for any of the houses if you had a hoop then like you were asking for just kids being at your house all the time so there was something to be said or there is something to be said about the uh, guidance and the the parenting that took place in the neighborhood across the board and for that to really give us a sanctuary of sorts to kind of, you know, screw up from time to time and it not wreck our lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely. And I think like in a lot of cases, parents would generally just pretty open to letting whoever come and go. And like, I think what, what for me, like being on the sort of younger side of all of that, one of the, um, like from my perspective, it, it, what it what it allowed for was our own kind of hierarchies to form. <laughs> Um, and so I, I think it was like definitely for me very cool to um, just feel very much a part of a group that um, I kind of looked up to and um, I learned a lot of like very practical things for, <laughs> for a young person to learn. Um, and, and like, yeah, to your point, like I think we as a community, um, we kind of allowed for that to happen and And so I think I've always had, as a result of that, and I think also other things that I've experienced in my life um, but I've always kind of seen tried to see myself in a bigger community um, because you you just realize how beneficial it is to share experiences and to feel connected to groups of people that are um, like a part of your daily life, you know, and I think uh like we were very lucky in that. I think I should, I took it for granted quite a lot to be honest. I mean, not like a bad way, but you don't know. I thought the rest of the world had that, but I realized talking to people, <laughs> you don't always get that. Um, and uh, so yeah, very special time and place.
0: You talked a little bit about some of the other communities that you were a part of as a kid. How did that sort of play out and how did those other experiences Inform the way that you you know continued to grow.
1: Yeah, I think I'm still trying to figure all that out. So I don't know is the short answer. One thing that continues to strike me today about Durham and and kind of the life that I've chosen is I find myself connecting to people quite often that would very much disagree with one another. But then for whatever reason, I find myself in the position of I, I agree with both of you. Like it's like confusing so like um and I think a lot of that does have to do with uh just the way the communities I was brought up in. so like one example like I I think one of the one of the more transformative experiences was just going to elementary school at Burton um in uh McDougal Terrace what's right next to McDougal Terrace and how Um, did you
0: end up that's a magnet school Burton
1: yeah I don't I don't know what it I don't know what it is geo world yeah I think it's a magnet school And how did you end up there? That's you know
0: that's on the other side of town.
1: Yeah, my where I lived. Yeah, it is. It's 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 actually a a a fascinating drive to make every day because it's it's like a lesson in uh, neighborhood inequality (laughs) just to make that drive because you kind of go from our neighborhood, which is kind of on one end of the spectrum in terms of like you know just wealthy middle class going east. the houses get slightly smaller and you get to the other side of downtown and they're even smaller and then the racial like makeup starts to change and and you so like in a way like that drive is is very poignant in and of itself but um i think we ended up there because um my i i to be honest i'm not sure my parents liked the teachers there i think my mom is obviously like a teacher herself and an incredibly successful um academic in education in the later part of her career um and uh but she she knew some teachers there that i think she really liked um and uh i think it was just a really good school at the time so my mom was like you know i think it's cool i also think for my parents it was super important to um have us go to schools that were a part of the greater durham community and not um not just sort of in a a, a, like an echo chamber of a private school or um or like a charter type thing so um, yeah. So we ended up at Burton and I went there for five years and, did, uh, did
0: Paul go there as well?
1: Yeah. Um, brother? Paul went there. I think, yeah, he definitely went there. Um, um, and then he went to shepherd for middle school. Um, just over there, just down the road. So, um, yeah. And, and, uh, obviously very different, um, kind of people, the people who went there were very different than people in our neighborhood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, a lot of kids from the terrorists. Um, and, like, you know, some of my closest friends there are now in prison. Um, so, like, Quadell, that's my dude. And uh, I don't know what happened, but he, he's now in prison. And um, so, like, I think I had a, a window into a, an experience that's very, very different than my experience um, growing up in Durham. And I, that, that's always stuck with me. Um, and I think, uh, it, 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 I, as I said, I don't know how it's affecting me today. I, I think I realized early on that, um, we, we all exist inside of a community and it's, it takes a lot of effort to step outside of that. Um, and, and no one's right. (laughs) We, none of us have any idea what's going on because even though Durham is a very progressive place on the surface. It has the same damn problems that any other place has. So I, I think I, I experienced kind of intimately that what people say and what happens are often very different. <laughs> um, and uh, so so I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it informs my, my making documentaries today, uh, but I'm not quite sure how yet. <laughs> that makes sense.
0: Totally, and I think you're right about The I mean that's something one of the gifts of being an artist and being a storyteller is exposing some of those hypocrisies and some of the shining a light on the darker side of communities that we are maybe not hiding but are not telling the whole truth about. And Durham certainly has that. I think you're you're totally right about it being a progressive, well-intentioned place, but it still has plenty of racial inequality uh of you know and all the things that come with that housing inequality yeah. you know job inequality and so on yeah. um so going to a place like burton you know McDougal terrace in recent years has been kind of a um you know shining example of yeah. all the things that we just talked about with yeah. the Uh, problems that they've had with their housing and having to live in hotels and all the stuff that's going on there so um, how much did so so as you're you're moving through school uh, you're starting to obviously play basketball more seriously and that's another community that you've been a part of for a long time yeah was that also a place where you got a lens into different ways that kids yeah. were growing up in in Durham.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, like just on the surface, just on the just racially. I mean, just you know, to talk about race, basketball was predominantly black and our neighborhood was sort of more predominantly white. So um again, I think just playing basketball meant I was around people that I wasn't around with when I was home. Um so I and I think that became very important to me. Um but, uh, but also, I think just 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 playing a sport really hard with with teammates, um, kind of like in our, like at Riverside. You know, I mean, Riverside's in just an incredible place. It's you you have, it's both. I mean, it has kind of everything that Durham has. You know, it, it's got um, people from all kinds of of different experiences, all kinds of different backgrounds, and we're all kind of crammed into a public school that had great teachers, still does, I'm sure and uh, just kind of a a general positive culture that um, I think was, was like I said earlier, like, I think it's just unique in a way. I mean, I'm sure there are other places in the world like that, but I still feel very lucky that um, I was a part of a community that was so uh, like really, truly diverse, you know, (laughs) like in all, in all the senses of the word. Um, And then to play basketball there was just totally cool because, you know, you're, you've got this group that's just like your boys that, you know, I would do anything for it. And still today I would do anything for them. I mean, like they're, they're forever, you know, a brother of mine. Um, And we tell each other that, you know, and like, I think there's just something magical about having gone through that um, in front of, and as a part of such a interesting sort of diverse community that, um, yeah, I think definitely. very much impacts me today Uh,
0: did you ever feel out of place as a as a white guy playing in a predominantly
1: black sport actually this is kind of funny uh i i never did um no never because the second you pick up basketball you're around black people so in durham i mean i'm sure that's not true other places in fact i found this out because i um i kind of got used to being like the white guy on the floor you know um it was just kind of like it, it know there's certain expectations that come with that um so uh but one one the i think the first time i really like uh noticed that i was the only white guy on the floor when i played was when i when i was getting recruited and i was brought to a uh, uh a recruiting camp in uh massachusetts Like we went up, we flew up and there were these D3 schools and it was like a D3 recruiting camp where a bunch of the NESCAC leagues, which is sort of like Massachusetts, New York up there. There's a lot of D3. And uh, we had this, this basketball camp and it was all white. (laughs) And Michael and I were like, what the hell is going on? First (laughs) of all, we didn't realize that like white people played basketball (laughs) that much. I mean, we knew like kind of, but I didn't know there were that many white people who play basketball. Um, and then my second reaction was I was super intimidated because I I was like immediately like, I don't know how I'm gonna stand out. <laughs> like like I'm used to kind of being like the shooter or like, you know, like it, people people are like, all right, can he shoot? But now it's like everybody so it was kind of interesting because I realized that was kind of the first moment I realized that I'd been around. Like I've gotten accustomed to being the like the white guy in the room, you know. Um but but then I realized really quickly that white people can't play basketball <laughs> and that we were a lot better than all of them. <laughs> so uh that was kind of interesting. I'm just kidding. I'm sure there's some good white players out there.
0: Well, and and Michael, I'm assuming did his him going to Williams have to do with this camp that you all went to? Was it was um, Williams part of this
1: cohort yeah, yeah. of schools? Yeah. So we were being recruited. Um by I guess like a few of them um, Williams being one of them. Yeah. It was at Williams. So um, that was definitely probably a part of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that was the reason that he went there, but, um, but yeah, Williams was involved with that.
0: Was so. uh was Duncan Robinson at this camp?
1: No, he wasn't at that camp, but he, um, no, cause he was.
0: He's a couple he, years older.
1: Um, younger.
0: Oh, he's younger. Okay.
1: Yeah. He's younger. Um, I think. Two maybe two years, two or three okay. years younger. Yeah, so he came later. Okay. Um, not because he was a freshman. Michael was a senior, so he's three years younger. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that guy was pretty good.
0: He turned not, out to be okay.
1: Worth pointing out, though, that Michael was the star on their team his senior year. Not Duncan. Duncan gets a lot of credit for that. Uh, that that, that uh, run. Well, and not even just Michael. There were like that team was very, very good. Duncan. Get, I mean, he was really good. Don't get me wrong, but. Just you gotta give the shout out to the to that senior class because they were really good.
0: Oh, I trust me, whenever I talk basketball now, I'm like that dude on Miami yep. went to the same school as my friend, who I'm yep. pretty sure I beat in one on one at least one time.
1: <laughs> exactly. The transitive property of basketball.
0: Yeah. Uh no, I, I totally agree. I remember having a, an almost opposite experience right. when I started playing organized basketball uh, in AAU sort of towards high school where I'm used to playing basketball with almost exclusively white people in our neighborhood or like out at the faculty club and then start playing AAU and I'm like oh like now I'm the white guy like now I'm (laughs) I'm the shooter I'm you know like that's the role that I play on this team because everybody else on the team is black and uh, yeah so it's yeah it's interesting how that yeah how that plays out with basketball
1: yeah and I'll say like I think sports um like because all that subtext is there it's not like we we don't all like talk about it you know like but we all are kind of aware of these dynamics that are at work um like race being one of them but I I think there are other dynamics as well but like the sport allows us to kind of like engage with it in a very healthy way because we you just beat one another and at a certain point you win enough and you lose enough to realize like it's gonna be fine like we're all gonna get through this um and i think like yeah it just is an incredible like space to to like kind of deal with these things you know um and so it's always been a nice like starting point i think for for meaningful relationships
0: yeah i was asked very uh graciously to be in a wedding later this year for my buddy raj And he and I met on the basketball court. We had no relationship before that and connected so well, both our personalities, but also our playing styles just gelled well enough on the court that we were always trying to be on each other's teams during pickup and, uh, and complimented each other very well. And that blossomed into a really strong friendship. And, um, I just think that that the basketball has always been like that, where you're, you are not, none of your like um, you know, demographics matter. You're like your age, your race, your gender, like none of that stuff. It's like can you hoop or can you not hoop? Yeah. And so I, I think that sports can be a very powerful tool yeah. for building relationships and to your point, tackling some of those um challenges within our community.
1: Yeah. Agreed though. I, I will point out that. If you weren't good at basketball, we were not very nice to you. So, (laughs) so while, while some solve some issues, there were other issues that I think might be a little more challenging for people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if that will ever go away when it comes to sports.
1: I was not trying to hoop with people who were not good. I'm gonna be honest with you.
0: (laughs) Well, so you talked about going to, to this recruiting camp uh, with your brother and, and. How basketball sort of transformed your uh, perspective. Yeah, you didn't end up going to a D three school,
1: right?
0: What school did you end up going to to play basketball?
1: Yeah, I ended up uh, walking on at Duke. I was a walk on at Duke for uh, one year.
0: I think I've heard of that school before. You know, <laughs> growing, growing up in Durham, you hear rumors about a, a basketball program um, across the way, in inside the walls of East and West Campus. How did you make that decision? Going from, because I, I, you yeah. know, you you're a good player. You're a really good yeah. player coming out of high school, and I'm sure had opportunities to to really play. You know, at a D three school, or D two school, or even a, a you know a different yeah. D one school. What was it about Duke that attracted you to that opportunity? Even though you knew you were going to be walking on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still kind of processing that. I think that whole experience. Um, So again, my short answer is, I don't know, Um, but the like, there's always been a part of me that um, keeps pushing myself to do things at a higher and higher level, Um, not for really anybody else, but for myself, because I just really um, feel very passionate that uh, it's good to get good at something (laughs) Um, because it, and it takes a very long time to get good at something. And so I think I kind of had a, I just had a fire inside of me. I mean, the, when my freshman year at Riverside, I got cut from JV and varsity. So I didn't play uh, my freshman year in high school. And so I was, I I think I I immediately realized that for me to feel satisfied with this sport, I'm going to have to just work my ass off. (laughs) Um, Because I didn't want to not play. And then I didn't want to not do really well. Um, did Did
0: Michael make the team?
1: Yeah, Michael played. Yeah, and that that was definitely a hard dynamic, and something I'll get into in my book, one and done. Um, but the uh, yeah, definitely, and and that was hard. You know, it's like at a at a you know your twin brother. There's a lot of comparisons that are made from the outside world on that. But I, for me, it was always internal. I just like I just knew I. I loved the game. I loved shooting. I loved playing. I loved the relationships and you know, I just loved being out in the cold firing a ball into the air and watching it go into the basket. It was just an incredible experience. And, um, I loved getting good at that. And so I just did that as hard as I possibly could. I know the Um,
0: feeling quite well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so when, when I had, when I was looking at my options for schools, um, and I had gotten into Duke, um, the coaches had talked to me, um, somewhat about there being an opening. Um, and, you know, I was sort of softly recruited. Um, I had conversations with them and they said, well, if you get in, you know, they think there'll be a, there'll be a spot for me, but I'd have to earn it.
0: And uh, you, your dad was working at Duke at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he's a professor in public policy there. Yeah.
0: And um, so you had some relationship with the university. Prior to
1: yeah, I grew up a huge going, Duke fan. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I love Duke. I, I was like these guys. These guys were my idols. You know, it was uh, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, yeah, we we were all big Duke fans. Um, and obviously being in Durham, you can't get away from Duke. Like, you know, come on. And you and I were like the Duke fans inside of a sea of UNC fans. Oh yeah. I, I remember like clowning people whenever Duke won, and just trying to hide our faces whenever whenever they lost.
0: We did a lot um, more clowning than we did hiding. Thankfully. Yeah,
1: That's because that's Duke's always winning, you know, but yeah, once, and then, so I, I guess I had an opportunity to play kind of like some small, like lower end D1 schools um, that were kind of recruiting me, but but didn't necessarily interest me because I, I, I really wanted to be somewhere very, uh, like at that point in my life, I wanted to be somewhere that was more like academic. Um, and then, uh, so it was between a, a couple of D3 schools or Duke. And, and, you know, I just wanted to prove that, I could play at that level so i just i was like all right let's do it
0: (laughs) were you already thinking about life after basketball at this point i mean obviously like going to duke with the interest of playing on the team yeah it's going to consume a good amount of your life your your time your headspace um but also to your point duke offers a world-class academic experience let's not so, let's
1: not let's not let's not overstate that all <laughs> right let's let me let's be honest I think you learn more about life from Durham Tech than from Duke but it is what it is. All right.
0: <laughs> Dur- no I, I I might agree with you there Durham Tech is a is another world-class uh institution D- that I don't waste your shout money out. and
1: send people to Duke audience yeah.
0: um but were you already thinking about life after basketball even though you were um, about to walk onto the team
1: n- uh does n- not really. Um, I mean, I I will say there was always a big part of my life that was um, that was very private. Um, that was like my creativity, I guess you'd call it. Um, I've always had this other part of me that, and I think basketball coincided with that quite a bit, um, but also was somewhat separate. I, I've always kind of like like wrote in in like manic <laughs> spurts. Or um, I had a camera in my hands and was filming things, um, and I think basketball for me was like a poetic thing to do. It was like very beautiful, and it was it was like fun to have my body pushed to certain lengths, and to to connect with people accordingly, both in relationships and then when I went to do, like connect to a, a national audience. I mean, it was like suddenly because I could run really well, <laughs> I I was I was in this incredibly strange world that um had all this attention on it i mean I, I love the stat that we played on national television more times than the lakers did the year i played so like there's all these spotlights on you so um and
0: what year was that again 2010 11 or 11 12 2010
1: okay. 11 kyrie irving's year
0: yeah so
1: we were both one and done me and kyrie we started that trend kyrie and i started that trend
0: i remember reading that yeah, the, I remember the headline. Yeah, uh, in, in the Irving newspapers and, and
1: David Delaney, mayor. Yeah, one and done. Um, but our names are next to each other in camera, which is sick <laughs> because it has both our names and the one year we played. So I, I, I think uh, our, our our both our paths to go professional following uh, our one year of basketball, I think, is uh, very similar paths. But um, but no. So to answer your question, I don't think I had any idea what the future looked like necessarily. But I was very conscious that there were parts of me that that were uh, like growing, and that I needed to pay attention to, and that uh, I didn't understand. And I was I was looking for things. Um, and basketball was beginning to not satisfy that. I think, um, particularly once it was so professional. I think and I wasn't playing. (laughs) Yeah. I sat on the bench. So, which look for some people, they love being famous and they love the whole thing. And I just didn't care. I just wanted to play. I just love playing. Um, And uh, so at a certain point, I think it just got too much just sitting on the bench and not really being a contributing factor here. Um, And then, you know, as you're alluding to, I think these other parts of me um, started to really take place of, of basketball and i basically just started making films full time i'd been making them somewhat kind of growing up like we had a home camera and i was always filming something or um but really when i left basketball filmmaking kind of flooded in to fill that space um as the craft that i was gonna try to get good at <laughs> so uh yeah that um so i don't think to answer your question i know i'm like talking. Talk, but to answer your question, I don't think I really thought about the future at all. But but there were parts of me that um, I I already knew was I needed some figuring out to do. Did that
0: change your relationship to basketball after that? You know, you reach that that highest point, and then once you're you kind of see the writing on the wall, and you think, okay, I'm not going any further than this. Is it hard to come down from that high and from that point where? you're now going back to the rec center and playing pickup with guys (laughs) who are, are not Kyrie Irving, who are not Nolan Smith. uh, And just thinking like, man, this is maybe like, maybe I should just stop altogether. Like maybe I can't do this anymore at all, let alone be on that, on the team.
1: Yeah. I I think uh, definitely it was hard to stop playing for sure. Um, And, and I think definitely hard for any athlete. I think, you go through this at some point, it's hard to just start getting worse. Yeah. You know, you're just like training less and, and your focuses are elsewhere. So you just start to, your body starts to change and you you're just not as good. You know, you, your mind is expecting you to do one thing and your body's doing something else. So I think that was probably, that, that was definitely hard. And then my relationship to the game changed quite a bit. I think in part because I burned out of not playing and then um, of just kind of how professional everything was, um, again, that seems like it works for some people, but for me, it was always this, this like very personal journey. Um, and when, when I'd reached kind of what I felt like was my development in that regard, I, you know, peacefully walked away from it. Um, and I mean, to answer your question about playing pickup, definitely. I mean, I've struggled to play even today. I don't play, um, much because I, I think I just, I pushed myself so hard and then I got what i wanted out of it (laughs) and once i'd gotten it i the 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 fire had left me and and it was just kind of hard to it's almost like just being in a nostalgic days when i play now as opposed to like a growth (laughs) so um yeah i very much enjoyed coaching though i started coaching a little bit um in different ways and i actually coached the club women's basketball team at duke um my senior year Shout out to that team because we were really good. Um, and that, that arguably might have been the most fun I've, I, I had at Duke with basketball <laughs> uh, just because we had so much fun. and, and uh,
0: Do you remember I, what your record was?
1: I don't remember our record, um, but there are, there are tournaments that I can remember every game of because we, um, we did well and, and we, we, we didn't have like the like naturally most talented team. But we beat some teams that that we shouldn't have beat, <laughs> and we beat them because we were just tougher than them. So it was it was really fun.
0: But not because good of good coaching.
1: <laughs> no, no, it was it was a struggle learning how to coach. But they, uh, it was really it's a really interesting thing playing that that club team because people we all cared a lot. You know, it was just it was kind of like a return to just playing for the sake of playing.
0: Um, Yeah, there is something beautiful about that. I I find that basketball for me has always been this safe space that allows me to distance myself from everything else in my life. You know, you can't simultaneously play basketball and, you know, be checking your phone or like thinking about politics or whatever. It's like you're immersed in this very fast paced environment. You're connecting with the people right in front of you. And I can imagine when it when it becomes about more than that, you know. I think it's been cool in some ways to watch the Duke basketball apparatus evolve over the years, especially with social media. You know, the Duke Blue Planet stuff is like yeah. very crisp, very professional. All the players doing the post game interviews with each other. Like, I think there's a lot of um, positive things that can come from that. Yeah. But also it it does take away from the game in a lot of ways and yeah. why you play the game. And, you know, basketball is, it's poetic. It's, you know, it's almost like a choreographed dance, you know, yeah. and, and it's like this, this thing that you want to experience. And when you start to add all these other pieces to it, it it dilutes it a little bit. And, you know, now the, the professional leagues are talking about. Uh, playing in arenas with no fans during quarantine, and and there's a part of me that almost wonders if the athletes would prefer that, to right. not have fans and to not have the music playing over the loudspeaker, during right. timeouts and all stuff, and just get back to playing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Fans are pretty fun. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty fun playing in front of a bunch of fans. Well, um, you know, it's
0: easy to say that when you played in Cameron Indoor Stadium.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it's pretty magical. Um, but I, I do think like, it, it's just a question of like, what do you want to get out of it? And what do you want to get out of, you know, what you're doing? Um, you know, I think if, if, if you're interested in being a professional athlete, you're going to become a professional. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, if that's your goal, then you're willing to give up certain things about um, why you do it, that you, you, you're just going to have to do that. I mean, you're just going to have to give up certain things to, to become, a professional, but I think I just wasn't at all interested in being professional at basketball. I I think it it was always a personal journey and I didn't want someone else to dictate that for me. And so I think it, it, uh, yeah, it just ran its course for, for what I was getting out of it. In the middle of
0: the night, it's green. In the middle of the night, it's green. And so how does that transition into filmmaking? What were you interested in coming out of that Duke basketball experience and, and not picking up a camera for the first time, but maybe thinking yeah, yeah. about filmmaking as, as a full-time craft? Yeah. What stories or what things were you interested in exploring with your camera uh, in, in the headspace that you were in at that point?
1: Yeah. Um, I think I've always felt like we're all running around and we have no idea what's going on. And I think I've always felt like there's some sort of mysterious lie or truth that I'm trying to seek out (laughs) because when I add things up and I think this kind of goes back to my experience in Durham, there's so many things that I do not understand about why people do things about how the world works. And I think my, my, experience with at duke was was very much a a conquering of one craft and then a kind of like falling out of love with it and realizing that there were other ways to engage with the world that were going to give me a more meaningful experience or whatever the way to say that is so um and i just started reading a ton like i started reading everything i could get my hands on and. Um, and documentaries kind of like came in because documentaries are a weird thing. (laughs) Like people think they're true. You, you bring people into an audience and you're, you're engaging with truth, which is a very, very, very weird phenomenon. And um, do you think
0: the documentaries are not true or you just think (laughs) that telling the truth is something Um, that people are not used to experiencing?
1: Well, I think it's, I think it's, um, I think they're not true is the short answer. I mean, I think the, I, so uh, what, the way I like to think about it is like writing has been around for like thousands and thousands of, I don't know the history of writing. They started writing because we were trading goods and they started making symbols and then writing emerged. And so there's like a a long history of writing. (laughs) Filmmaking has been around for like a hundred years. And inside of that, the techniques that people call documentary have been around for like 50 years, maybe a little longer. I'm not a historian. Um, so it's a very young art form, like documentary filmmaking. It's a very young art form. And we rely on techniques from fiction filmmaking, which is good, I think. It's not a bad thing. But, but people kind of expect you to be telling the truth in a documentary, um, which in and of itself, I think, is almost an impossible task because like I, we we did journalism together in high school mm-hmm. and you had to write the lead to start, you know, it's like who, what, when, where, why. And like we were coached to try not to use too many, uh, you know, adjectives or too many like, you know.
0: Co- coach might be too soft a to word. I think we yeah, were yeah. berated into <laughs> yeah. doing shout those out, things.
1: Shout out to Steve Unruh. Uh So yeah, I, exactly. So, um, but all right, but then the second you play music and you have a beautiful image, <laughs> like you're conjuring a history of of techniques and of uh, agreements made between audience and creator that is based in fiction and designed to appeal to the emotion. And so you're out of journalism immediately. and I was fascinated by what was happening when I was creating things and engaging with people and they would watch stuff and I would show them things. And I I just found the, the, that basic premise, very, very, very interesting. (laughs) And so I started kind of just diving into it. Um, And at that point in my life, I discovered another wildly transformative thing in my life, which was, I read the diary that my grandfather, who I never met at this point in my life, um, wrote during the Holocaust, growing up as a half-Jew in Frankfurt, Germany. So here I am, this like ex-Duke basketball player who grew up in Watts Hospital in, in Durham, North Carolina, you know, reading a diary that was written, you know, halfway around the world in Nazi Germany. And it was my grandfather, my dad's dad. And so I was kind of hit with like, again, another situation where it's like, there's this community out there (laughs) that I'm apparently a part of that is really, really confusing and really violent. And we, my family kind of inherited that, you know? And so I immediately sort of started making a movie, a documentary about my family's history in Germany. Um, And I learned German and I went to Germany and I freaking interviewed hundreds of people and and tried to make sense of this kind of confusing situation that happened both with my grandfather and then more of the historical context that surrounds it. Um, So yeah, I think it just became, documentaries just became like a a way to make sense, to try to make sense of things. Though I don't know how much help that's been for me personally, I think probably I'm just more confused now than ever.
0: <laughs> well, what's but, interesting about documentary or just documentation over the course of human history is that it's it's done. It's not done in a vacuum. Uh, yeah. Historians are individuals with their own experiences, and so right. we, to your point, we we look at history and then we look at documentary and we think, okay, this is the truth. Yeah, um, a hundred percent versus this is like these are facts yeah. that, that are being presented by a particular person and their perspective on yeah. what's important and what isn't. Yeah. And so, even in documentary, I mean, that's why you know, a lot of times you'll see a particular story told now through like a fictional series, a documentary series, a podcast series, yeah. a movie, uh, you know, all these different platforms because there are so many different versions of the same yeah. facts that you can use to present a story. And yeah. when you layer tone and and music and you know all these other elements yeah. to your point of, of like fiction filmmaking uh into it, it it twists yeah. and turns in a way that it is not pure. Yeah. And I don't know that that's bad, but it is something yeah. to recognize in documentary.
1: Well, I'll put it this way. I, I think there's no purity in creating things. So I think that idea that we could possibly get to a pure state is a fallacy and one that should be stamped out whenever we talk about creating things. Um, I, I also just think for me, we there should be more dialogue around techniques. Mm. Specifically, how are we doing this? And not even from an ethical perspective, in my opinion. I mean, there's a sort of an ethical argument and an artistic argument, and they're very separate. I just want people to, to think more about techniques in documentaries, because I think it's an incredible art form. And they're, they're, the techniques that we're using, people don't seem to, it doesn't seem to be in the popular sphere. Like if you watch the fiction movie, if you went to see Avengers, all right, you, were, you might say, look, I loved these qualities about it, and we would sort of break it down and whatever. But documentaries, for some reason, seem to, like, get away with not having that level of filmmaking scrutiny, I guess you call it. But I just think there's a lot of techniques that people, I would love for audiences to kind of, like, talk about more. And for, um, because then you start seeing that the Tiger King, is is a very different beast than what you think it is if we break it down in terms of its techniques and and when you compare it to you know other types of documentaries like uh i don't know there's i don't really watch that many documentaries that are like popular, so I'm trying to think of a popular reference um, but anyway i think I think you start to see that um that there are kind of like um
0: well, let I me think ask people you can
1: engage with it differently, which, which is kind of a, a lot of what I'm trying to do. I think, um, yeah. what are
0: some documentaries that you have seen where you feel like oh, exemplify the technique that you're, yeah that you want other people to absorb?
1: So I'll, I'll preface this by saying, I, I, I don't watch that many documentaries. <laughs> I, you're, I read, you're working
0: on quite a few.
1: I, I read, uh, old, old, old fiction and I watch old movies. Um, but uh so so how to answer that i i think well i mean i could rattle off a bunch but i don't know well, to even if there's it. not
0: a particular movie is there a particular technique that that stands out to you as something that people should be yeah. one looking out for and other documentary filmmakers should be introducing more into their work
1: yeah i, I think one kind of overarching thing is that i think documentaries are tended to Tend to be valued by their ability to convey information, which starts to sound a lot like what gossip is. So I think what happens a lot with documentaries is that people talk about them as information, but they're not talked about as crafts or as pieces or as films or whatever, which again, I don't, it's fine, except that I think what happens is the pressures on creators starts to be that we have to find the hook. If I hear another person say to me, <laughs> you need to raise the stakes, I'm gonna scream. Because life is very complicated and life is very, very nuanced. And our experiences in day-to-day life are incredibly small and incredibly quiet. You don't talk most of the time, it's a very quiet existence and, and there should be a film art form that engages with that. And it should be documentaries because this is where we're talking about truth. (laughs) Like this is where we're talking about life, you know? So I I think I wish there was more space for films that did not engage with ideas and that instead engaged with uh, more immediate truths, more poetic moments, more like subtle realities. Um, I think fiction movies do that. There is space for that, but I think documentary has some catching up to do with that, if that makes sense. Um, and, and like one really great example of, of kind of this experience I think is like, if you, if you try, go, go try to make a documentary and go try to raise any money, I guarantee you immediately that like second question will be, why does this matter to the world? And you're you're asked to write a, a sweeping historical context about why this story is matters and why it is going to change things and why it, you know all that stuff. Um, you can't say, well, it's a good story about a, a woman trying to, you know, do this, like that. That doesn't mean, you know, like
0: it can't sound can't, ordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even exactly. though there are many extraordinary things in what we consider ordinary.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So, um so I don't know. Um yeah, I don't know if that that answered it, but uh
0: Well, so let me ask you about your own work. So you have a uh like yeah. a production company now. You yep. and and our dear friend Matt Brondoli mm-hmm. uh work on a lot of films together. Um mm-hmm. and so how are you thinking about <laughs> these things as you're uh producing your own work? You've got yeah a couple things that are being released soon yeah. uh senior night being one of them which mm-hmm. is a, a great short film about uh about our alma mater riverside and sort of the journey for um you know the, the journey that that one takes in in that moment um yeah. uh, as a senior yeah. um, going through that experience for anyone that's played sports senior night is like the um you know the seminal moment in their playing career especially for people that aren't playing college sports senior night is like that's you know that's it yeah. pretty much um so you've got that coming out and then you've yeah. got the project dream across america yep. um which is which I'm super excited about I think is a is a really cool project. Yep. Um so maybe talk a little bit about those and then and then how you're Trying to approach them with these different documentary philosophies in mind,
1: yeah, so I think it's probably worth saying i I, I don't I, I, I hope I don't come across as too academic because I try not to think about things like I don't think about things in their intellectual and historical context until like way after the fact. Um, it's a very personal thing for me to to create these projects because, um I think. Documentary has just always been so like it's just like the way that I can stay sane and not like lose my mind. <laughs> um and and like I, I I talk about this a lot, um, and we alluded to a little bit earlier, but I also think just having a twin brother has been a very, very big influence in why I make documentaries because I think the like growing up with another human being, I mean I entered the world with another person which is like already just a really strange experience. And then all of my memories are with him and we like loved each other and love each other more deeply than like, I relate to mothers on this because it's like, there's no question that I would do anything for him and he would do that for me. And so I, I have experienced life feeling totally, in a relationship that is without any shadow of a doubt unconditional and so relationships for me are like very very like i'm 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 comfortable in intimacy and so the documentary is like a great is like a way to to engage with those issues and particularly since michael in my life is kind of like i mean we just live our own lives you know we have different things that we do and we don't see each other every day we live in different places so I think documentary has kind of like stepped in as like me finding meaning <laughs> in a relationship, you know? And, and so I've always loved to just listen to people and to like to to find nuances about them that are meaningful and to like encourage them to open up and and to like make something out of that. Um and it it's not always pretty. <laughs> um, and i've made every mistake that one can make um in the process but i think uh so with our projects um i, mean, I could talk about each of them individually I, yeah i
0: think they both reflect that idea of intimacy as well i yeah. think senior night and dream across america they're both you know you're zooming in on particular subjects yeah. and exploring yeah. these you know, their, their lives and what's meaningful to them and yeah. how they deal with it on a very emotional yeah. level.
1: Yeah, and part of that, I think, just from a technique point of view, I think part of that is just, is just setting limitations um, from a story point of view that, in my opinion, are somewhat radical in documentary. Like, like Senior Night re- really is just an experiment. It was designed as an experiment. I, I, w- I wanted to try to make a movie that gave you absolutely no information about these people, and all you all you get is what they're thinking in the moment, and so it's it's very much like in a, in a conversation with um, other documentaries that perhaps their first five minutes would give you Anthony's backstory, and then the next five minutes would show you why this game is important, and then the next five minutes would you know interview people in the barbershop and be like, Oh, this is an important game. It's senior night. You know, like that, that might be one way to do it, which is fine, but I just wanted to do something different that didn't, wasn't dealing with information and instead was dealing with other rules and other types of dramatic devices. And so senior night is that. And I think one of the reasons I love doing that is what happens is the subject becomes the Dramatic device. (laughs) Like it's very intimate. Like you can't get out of Anthony's head. He you're in his head trying to imagine who he is at every step of the way because that's what moves the story forward. I'm not leaning on why the game's important to move it forward. I'm leaning on Anthony's tired, he has a lot of adrenaline, and he's worried he's gonna miss a free throw. So what's gonna happen? (laughs) You know, like that is the dramatic device. So, which is very unusual for a documentary, but a not unusual for a fiction movie. So I think um, Senior Night was that. And then with Dream Across America, um, which is a project that uh, like a close friend of mine and I started, um, and I could go on and on about art, the conversations him and I have had about this concept of, of immigration um, and immigrants. Um, he, his family is Egyptian. Um, his parents came over, and a really inspiring story um, about his his mother and father have kind of made a life in America. Um, and then, like I, I mentioned earlier, my grandfather was half Jewish um, immigrant who came over after the Holocaust after losing his father and who died in Auschwitz. and then he he came to america and and rebuilt. Um, I think the, the the idea of an immigrant is that perhaps there's no gr- bigger idea where uh the contexts and ideas are imposed upon the immigrant as opposed to just people being themselves. <laughs> um so we're very much trying to tell stories that center on the entrepreneur, on on the 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 subject on the immigrant who we're we're talking with. Um, and that was something that was very personal to Andrew and I who whose whose families are not what you hear of when you think of the concept immigrant like there's all kinds of different experiences all kinds of different stories and it there's no like one thing <laughs> you know so i think it was a it was a surprising fit um with andrew and i to 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 create this project um so yeah so so th- I, that project is going to be a series and we're still figuring out um like what it, where it will end up, but, um, a very exciting project we have we have tons of momentum and, and tons of of cool uh, partners on it so um yeah exciting time
0: and so where can people find your work if they want to uh continue to track the the stuff that you're working on
1: yeah i i've i've been really hesitant to be on social media uh in part because i'm very suspicious of techniques used in social media um, but, and it's just not natural for me to, to be on it. So, um, but we have a website, daviddelaneymayor.com, uh, or yeah. And, um, on there, you'll see, you'll see projects, um, and, uh, anything that, that does happen, we post to that. Um, and,
0: um, and you have a newsletter that people can sign up for.
1: Yeah, we do. Um, we, we, we also have, uh, a way to support our work. <laughs> we have our own private Patreon set up. Um, I can't promise tons of content will come through it, but uh, <laughs> but you'll be the first to hear about it if if something does come. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we uh, so that, that's how, that's, that's mostly how. I mean, I have an Instagram that I use some, somewhat frequently um, that people can, can check on. And then I, I try to write uh, articles. Um, I, I don't even submit them places. I just post them to Medium. <laughs> In fact, this has become our whole philosophy we we don't submit things anywhere. <laughs> we we've decided to stop submitting to film festivals. We because I'm 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 just kind of tired of people telling me what's good and what isn't. Um, and and I think that experience for creatives is is an impossible experience when people are just constantly telling you like, hey, sorry, we like have so many entrances. like we have so many applicants, and we like. We love your work, but you're just not accepted. And it's like some weird like film festival or something. Um, Like, I don't even think I, we've submitted that many times in the past, but I know in talking to people, it's like a very frustrating experience. So I've just kind of decided we're going to stop submitting (laughs) because there are tons of ways to reach audiences that don't require these like strange who, you know, like not based in the South uh, institutions that somehow have a claim on what's good and what's not that are based in like very poorly thought out and very poorly designed systems. Um, and so we're, that's one of the reasons I've loved public television. And so I think we're going to try to keep building relationships with public television as an outlet for our work. Um, because their mission is very much in line with, with a lot of stuff we want to do, which is just like reaching people with, with honest storytelling. Um, and, uh, so, so anyways, we, so yeah but that's kind of a tangent. So, but yeah, the website is where people can can check on our stuff.
0: We'll make sure to point people in that direction uh, when we post the podcast, but I just have to say this has been uh, a tremendous experience and and a great thing. This is my first time doing a a zoom podcast. So I'm excited to um, see how this turns out and get it up on the web for everyone to listen to. And, uh, and it's been an honor to catch up with you. I feel like, uh, you know we've crossed paths many times, uh, sort of like two ships in the night uh, over the last few years, but haven't really had a chance to to catch up recently. So this has been uh, awesome for for that, if if nothing else.
1: Agreed, agreed, agreed. I, I uh, I'm honored to be on it. Like I said, I, I I told you before, but I I generally say no when people ask to interview me because, well, one it scares the hell out of me, but two I don't I don't necessarily trust. Uh, what they're gonna do with it but but i of course said yes to you because it's totally great to catch up and i love all that you're doing so, so well, you're i
0: appreciate me. that and i'll make sure to uh manipulate the hell out of everything you've said so that it sounds like total <laughs> junk
1: i would expect nothing less <laughs> hey i do the same thing you know
0: all right man uh stay safe enjoy your time uh out in salisbury and uh, look forward to, to more of your work as it comes out. And, uh, and say hi to the folks and, and your brothers for me as well. Yeah. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon, man.
1: Definitely, man. It's been a pleasure.